0: 5 to 11-year-olds, if your parents so wish, you can head out the back doors to your classes for the morning. If you brought a Bible, please open it to the book of Mark, chapter 4. And if not, or perhaps you've never even cracked a Bible or even own a Bible, have no fear. I will be reading from the Bible and you will be fine. But if you have a Bible, it has great power as it is working and read. So I commend Mark 4 to you. By the way, I'm Matthew. I know many of you see your faces, uh, but if I haven't met you, please take a minute to say hi after the meeting today. Um, Our desire is that nobody would walk into this church and walk out a stranger, uh, but that you would experience the love and care of God through community. And I don't just say that because I'm the pastor guy and I'm supposed to say that, and that's in the script. That's not in the script. I have no script for this. Uh, It's the heart of God. And it's God's plan through the gospel, because he is the God who sets the solitary in families. And our prayer is that that would happen here. We actually believe that God does that. We really do. So may it happen. Lord, would you bless the preaching of your word? Well, last Friday, my wife and I toured the Forbidden City exhibit at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. How many of you have been there? Any of you? Don't be ashamed of yourselves. Yep, that's what I thought. I told Elise when we walked out, I said, I don't think there's many of my friends in the church that have been to this. Uh, But in case you weren't there, I'll explain. Uh, The Forbidden City exhibit was a collection of over 200 items uh, from from the Palace Museum in Beijing, China. And it was full of portraits, clothing, furniture, sculptures, and decorative pieces from the Ming and Qing dynasties which if you're thinking, what is that? Those dynasties were part of the Chinese imperial court between the dates 1368 and 1911. So we are talking like four centuries of continuous governance in this 180-acre walled compound filled with stuff, all kinds of stuff. And as I walked and looked and I was amazed by it. I saw all kinds of gold and silver and precious stones. They even took things like a fruit basket or a teapot and, and put rubies and sapphires and jade and all sorts of precious metals into them. As symbols of longevity and, and tranquility and, and continuity were embroidered or painted or, or hammered into practically everything. And though I claim no extensive knowledge of Chinese history, I left that exhibit convinced of something. I was convinced in a fresh way that in that culture, public image mattered big time. Big time. How, what your clothing, your teapots, your horse, your horse's clothing, your sword, your sword scabbard, what all of it said through how it appeared mattered big time. If you were going to live in the imperial kingdom of China, you had to give careful attention to your outward appearance on every level. And while our clothes look a lot different, and you should be grateful that I'm not standing up here in a skirt, American culture, though different it has its own set of required social skills like every culture for example navigating in the 21st century of america generally requires that you know how to drive a car start the bidding low use a computer use a smartphone and pay taxes basic american skills life in the chinese kingdom required something. Life in the kingdom of America requires something. I wonder what you would say life in the kingdom of God requires. What does life in the kingdom of God require of you? Being a good person? Going to church? Repressing your sexuality? Voting conservative, reading the Bible. What what does does life in the kingdom of God require of us? Well, friend, the Bible tells us that life in the kingdom of God requires one thing more than anything else. You know what it is? It's faith. It's faith. Life in the kingdom of God requires faith. Faith, because unlike the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of God is not defined geographically. The kingdom of God does not exist inside a 180-acre walled compound with crazy stuff inside. The kingdom of God is a relational thing. It's defined relationally. To live in the kingdom of God is to live in a relationship of glad submission to the king. King Jesus. And that kind of relationship requires faith. Think of it this way. Life in the kingdom of God requires faith in the Son of God. You can't have one without the other. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Translation, impossible to live in right relationship with Him. Why? For whoever would draw near to God, whoever would enjoy right relationship with God, must... Must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Faith is trust. Faith is reliance. Faith is leaning hard on the truth that Jesus is who He says He is and He has done, is doing, and will do everything He promised to do. That's faith. Life in the Kingdom of God requires faith in the Son of God. And since last fall, we've been studying, as many of you know, the book of Mark. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus has a lot to say about faith. And when we last left this chapter, we, we looked at the parable of the sower. My words, Jesus says, my words, his teaching, are like a seed cast on the ground of a human heart. Some of the seed falls on a hard path. As soon as the word is heard, it's immediately rejected. Some of the seed falls in rocky soil. It, It takes root, but then when life in the kingdom of God gets difficult, faith vanishes. Other seed, other words of Jesus fall into a bed of thorns. They believe his word Faith is strong, but then, quote, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Their faith never matures, but, Mark four twenty, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. To accept the word is is another way of saying that you believe the Word, that you trust, as I said a minute ago, that Jesus is who He says He is, and has done, is doing, and will do everything He promised to do. That's a life of faith. So church, here's the critical question. Why is faith so important? Why is faith so important? What is it about the, the character, the nature of the kingdom of God that requires Faith. Well, I think Jesus anticipates that question and answers it in this next section in Mark 4 in three ways. Why does the kingdom of God, why does life in his kingdom require faith in the Son? Answer number one, the kingdom of God is revealed in Christ. The kingdom of God is revealed in Christ. Look at Mark 4.21. 4.21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. On the surface, Jesus is making up what I hope is a pretty self-evident point. I doubt if I went to any of your homes this afternoon that I would find a lamp under your bed. I mean, it would be an old broken one, but, but hopefully not one that's plugged in. You know, come to think of it, it's maybe something a a toddler would do to keep the monsters away. But, But we don't put lamps under beds. You don't buy an expensive lamp from Pottery Barn and then put a Kroger shopping bag over it. Nobody does that. We put a lamp where its light can help us see things. So the questions we have to ask are really simple. What is it that Jesus says has been hidden or has been a mystery and is now being brought to light. And what sort of lamp is getting that done? Well, I think the answer is found in Mark 4.11. By the way, when you're listening to preaching, you, should, you shouldn't primarily be listening to what the preacher thinks. You should be listening for how the word of God answers its own questions. The Bible's really good at that. So look at Mark Mark 4.11. Jesus says to his disciples, to you has been given what? The secret of the kingdom of God. So it's the kingdom of God. That's the thing that has been hidden or secret, but is now being made manifest or coming to light. And remember, the kingdom of God isn't about knights and castles. It's about relationships. So what is it about relationship with God that Jesus says was hidden, was a mystery, but is now coming to light. Well, the Old Testament, the first big chunk of your Bible, teaches us that relationship with God is not a given. That's a very American idea. Of course I have a relationship with God. It's not what the Bible teaches. Relationship with God is not a given. It's a gift. It's a gift that comes to those who are righteous as he is righteous, who perfectly obey the law of God. And therein lies the problem, does it not? (laughs) Not one of us has done that. Not one of us can look at God's word, read the laws in here, and say, check, check, double check. Done. Which means nobody deserves a relationship with God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet... God, all throughout the Old Testament, makes promises like this. Jeremiah 31. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, that much, all the Jews standing around listening to Jesus knew. They expected a Messiah to bring God's kingdom to pass. They they longed for a Messiah to bring God's kingdom to pass. But the mystery that no one understood until Jesus told them was that he was the Messiah and that he would bring the kingdom of God to pass by being beaten, flogged and crucified for the sin of the world. A crucified Messiah was like the the ultimate non sequitur. It doesn't add up. It's a contradiction in terms. If anyone in the universe deserves to not die, it's the Holy One of God, righteous in all His ways. The Messiah won't die. That was a logical conclusion, dare I say, a biblical assumption. He can't die. He's God. And God is glorious in power and supreme in wisdom. God doesn't die. 1 Corinthians 1. Paul says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. For, listen, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. I, I love the verse of the, the second verse of the old hymn, And can it be? Tis mystery all the immortal die. Who can explore his strange design? In vain, the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. From the great mystery, once secret, but now coming to light, was that God himself was going to come and redeem his people. They knew That an offering for sin was required. You know what nobody saw coming? God was going to be the offering. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody even conceived of that. And in fact, when Jesus alluded to as much to Peter, you know what Peter did? He said, get behind me. That can't be. And Jesus rebuked him. The kingdom of God is revealed in Christ because it is through the work of Christ that the kingdom of God is brought to pass. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and his reign on high. Through what Christ has done, the kingdom of God is brought to pass. So, what does that mean? How do do we live that out? Well, it means that in all our good works... In all our acts of compassion and mercy, in all our efforts to make right what sin has made wrong, let us never think that we can repeat or add to what Jesus Christ has already done. Really important. Hebrews 1.3, Josh read this, where it's quoted later in Hebrews, speaking of Jesus. Hebrews 1, three. listen, after making purifications for sins, he what? He sat down. Those are like two of the best words in the Bible. After making purification for sins, he kept going and kept working and hoped to finish in a couple millennia. No, he sat down. Friend, what God completes is completely done. Completely done. The kingdom of God was established by Christ. He sat down because his work was finished. His redemptive reign had been secured once and for all, which means we do not establish God's kingdom. We do not build God's kingdom. We do not expand God's kingdom. That is the work of Christ and Christ alone. The kingdom of God is revealed in Christ and enjoyed through faith in Christ. Apart from faith, apart from relying on what Christ has done on your behalf to make you right with God every day of your life, you never enter God's kingdom. Remember, because Christianity isn't about stopping cussing, going to church, reading your Bible, or voting Republican. Christianity is about entering into the redemptive reign of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why life in the kingdom of God requires faith in the Son of God. Because the kingdom of God is revealed in Christ. Mark 4, 23. If anyone has ears to hear, friend, if you have ears to hear right now, let him hear. They said to him, pay attention to what you hear. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What's up with that? What simply means that if you respond to the revelation of God's kingdom in Christ, with a heart of faith, God is going to richly reward you. And notice that the measure of your reward is not limited to the measure of your faith. Faith is required. Faith is necessary. But lest we think that faith is some sort of merit that unlocks God, what does Jesus say? And still more will be added to you. Because ultimately, it's not the strength of your faith that governs the blessings God gives you. It's the object of your faith that governs the blessings God gives you. And if the object of your faith is Christ, then the measure of God's blessings will always outweigh the measure of your faith. Why? Because he's a generous king. Church, he's a generous king. Faith doesn't force open the storehouse of an ogre. Okay? Faith casts you into the arms of a loving father. Who delights to reward your faith with greater knowledge, greater joy, greater satisfaction, greater confidence, greater peace in all that he is for you in Jesus. He gives us the gift of faith, and then he rewards our faith by giving us more faith. Go figure. Guess who doesn't get glory because of that? And yet, for those who don't have faith. For those who refused to receive the revelation of the kingdom of God in Christ and bow their knee to him, Jesus issues a sobering warning. What you think you have, your pleasures, your possessions, your good works, all of that is going to be taken away. It's not going to last. And you're going to be left naked, exposed, and trembling before the judgment seat of God. Life in the kingdom of God requires faith in the Son of God. First, because the kingdom of God is revealed in Christ. Second, because the kingdom of God is empowered by the gospel. It's revealed in Christ it's empowered by the gospel. Mark 4:26. Read with me. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, he at once puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. let's establish a couple things up front in order to understand what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is not saying here, okay? First, we need to remember that parables are designed to illustrate general spiritual principles. General principles. You get in trouble (laughs) If you start looking for one-to-one correlations in all the details. So for example, someone might think, well, God can't be the sower because that would mean that God goes to sleep and doesn't know how the seed sprouts and grows. So he can't be the sower. False. The point of the parable is not that God is an ignorant, lazy farmer. It's not. It's not. Second, we need to remember that there is a difference. Please hear this. There's a difference between the kingdom of God and the gospel. There's a difference. They're not the same. The kingdom of God is the redemptive rule of God over the people of God achieved once and for all through the person and work of the Son of God. The redemptive rule of God over the people of God achieved by the Son of God. And that kingdom cannot be added to, diminished, or taken away. As I said earlier, it's a decisive work, a finished work. It's why Jesus sat down. And in that sense, the kingdom of God never grows. As Kevin Young and Greg Gilbert say, it is what it is. It can be received or rejected, entered or avoided, but the kingdom of God is never advanced or built or altered today as if some part of God's redemptive rule was left incomplete or unfinished when Christ emerged from the grave. It's not the case. Notice, please notice, that at no point in the parable does Jesus explicitly identify the kingdom of God with the seed. That's deliberate. Why? Because the seed isn't the kingdom of God. The seed is the word of the gospel. The seed is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us that Jesus himself has been proclaiming since Mark chapter 1. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And in fact, Jesus actually identifies the seed with the word of the gospel earlier in the parable of the sower. So what is he trying to say? What is Jesus trying to say about the kingdom of God with this parable of a seed growing? What's up with this illustration? Well, the point of the parable is that the kingdom of God contains within it A source of power that does not come from man and cannot be understood by man. That's the point. Look at verse 28. This is the key phrase. Verse 28. The earth produces by itself. Or literally translated, it would read, automatically the earth produces. Why does Jesus say that? Because he wants his hearers to know something. Friend, he wants you to know something. The operative power bringing people into the kingdom of God and once they're in, making them more like the king is not the activity or understanding of man. It's not. The operative power bringing men and women into the kingdom of God and making them more like their king is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of God in the gospel. Colossians 1. Listen to what Paul says. We always thank God for the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, this hope laid up in heaven, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, think the seed, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is what? Bearing fruit and growing. What's bearing fruit and growing the gospel as it is the gospel bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Notice Paul doesn't say that the kingdom of God has come to you as if the first Christians who came to Colossae talking about Jesus kind of brought the kingdom of God in their backpack. No, why? Because the kingdom of God is not established, secured, advanced, or built by man. It has been established, secured, and will always be secured by Jesus Christ's finished work. Big difference. Paul says the gospel has come to you because the gospel is the fruit-bearing, harvest-producing power at work in the kingdom of God. The point of the parable is not that the kingdom of God is growing. The point of the parable is that the influence and effect of the gospel is growing as the power of the gospel brings men and women into the kingdom of God and makes them more like their king. That is the growing. Which means, very practically, the gospel is not a religious idea. To be mulled over, or contemplated, or, or pondered with a preacher on Sunday mornings. Okay, I hope you're thinking right now, because there's, there's some things we really need to think about in here. But, but the gospel is not primarily a doctrinal statement, or a series of truth claims. It is the touchstone of all sound doctrine. It is true. You know what else? It's more than truth. It's truth power. The gospel isn't just truth, propositional truth contained in letters. It is truth with power. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed or read or sung or preached, friend, you are encountering nothing less than the transforming power of almighty God. And that has big time implications for how we do life. So, parents, listen. If your children are going to enter the kingdom of God and grow into the king's image, what do you think you need to do? Preach the gospel. That's what you need to do. You can't bend your kids' will to submit to King Jesus. But guess what? God can. God can, and God will do it as you remind your kids of the mercy God has shown them in Jesus Christ. Okay, husbands, husbands, what do you do, how do you respond if your wife is perpetually worried, anxious? What do you need to do? Get organized. Manage the finances better. Take her out to dinner. Perhaps, perhaps, let's not over-spiritualize this, right? You know what you need to do more than anything else? You need to preach the gospel to your wife. You need to tell her that because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's love for her has been secured. It doesn't change. And if God would die for her, he is not going to withhold every good thing from her. That's what it means to wash your wife with the word, gentlemen. If your neighbor doesn't know the Lord, if your parents don't know the Lord, if your, if your workplace is riddled by gossip, if your family is full of conflict, if your city is ravaged by racism and, and poverty, if your country is paralyzed by the fear of terrorism, you know what's needed? You know what all the people around you need and you need and we all need? We all need to understand, apply and experience the power of the gospel. It's not a boilerplate solution it's not god jesus bible it's a precise solution because the gospel has something precise and pointed and specific and earthy and gritty and real to say about every facet of the human existence so what's our role what's to proclaim the gospel If we don't build the kingdom, establish the kingdom, or advance the kingdom, what's left? Well, something big is left. You know what it's called? Declaring the kingdom. (laughs) Proclaiming the kingdom. Announcing the kingdom. Speaking to all who will listen. This is what Jesus is and what he has done once and for all. People need to hear that. That's our role, Christian, in the kingdom of God. We don't redo or add to what Jesus has done. We announce it. By connecting one bit of truth to one bit of real life. And listen, the fact that the kingdom of God is empowered by the gospel and not by human effort or activity, that should both humble us in a profound way and really encourage us when it comes to international missions. (laughs) Big time. Why does it humble us? Well, Because we know that as we go to other people groups around the world, As we pray, as we give, if there is any spiritual fruit born from that, if men and women are brought into God's kingdom and become more like the king, we didn't do that. And we better not go around writing newsletters, patting ourselves on the back as if we did. That's God's work. The kingdom of God isn't empowered by your checkbook. It's empowered by the gospel. That's humbling, even as we're faithful to go and give and pray. God uses us in those ways. But it's also encouraging because, because of this. Wherever we go in the world, guess what's true in that place? The gospel is bearing fruit and growing, <laughs> So when we when we when you go on a short term mission team to Bolivia, it's not like, again, you bring the kingdom of God in your little backpack and and hope you can dig down with a post hole digger and, you know, make it secure and then kind of set it up until you fly back a year later. No, when you go and proclaim the words, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, a power is unleashed around you. And it's not your power. But it's a big power. It's a life transforming power and it does damage in the kingdom of God. Power in missions doesn't come from the messenger. It comes from the message. In summary, life in the kingdom of God requires faith in the son of God because the power that brings us into his kingdom and makes us more like the king doesn't come from us. It comes from him. The kingdom of God is empowered by the gospel. Lastly, lastly, the kingdom of God, revealed in Christ and empowered by the gospel, is awaited in all its fullness. Somebody says to you, what's the kingdom of God? Great three-part answer. Well, it's revealed in Christ, it's empowered by the gospel, and it's awaited in all its fullness. Look, Look back at Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 30. And he, Jesus, said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed. Jesus had a thing for seeds, which when sown on the ground is the smallest seed of all the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. As with the previous parable, The point of the mustard seed is not, please hear this, not that God's kingdom starts out really weak and frail, but then keeps making progress until it finally becomes big and strong. That's not the point. Nothing could be further from the truth because Jesus' resurrection didn't kick off a millennium of building alliances and lobbying for swing votes in the courtroom of heaven. It didn't. He was raised in power, he is reigning in power, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. That means the kingdom of God starts strong and finishes strong. And not because of us, because of Jesus. So why then would Jesus compare something that starts strong and finishes strong to a mustard seed that, Wow, really seems pretty weak. And then gets big. Well, here's the point. Though the kingdom of God is not more established or secured than it's already been by Christ. Guess what does change? Our sight of it. Our awareness of it. God's manifestation of or revelation of it in our world. What presently appears in the eyes of men is weak and insignificant. Who God is and all he's doing will one day prove to be of cosmic importance. That's the point. That's the point. The kingdom has been secured by Christ once and for all, but it's only manifested in part until Jesus returns to make all things new. And that means, in a, in a very real sense, the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. Its, it's future, the not yet, isn't in question. It's not kind of like we're sort of rolling the dice, hoping the not yet part comes in to land at some point. The resurrection of Christ Guarantees the return of Christ. They hold together. But until he returns, we're waiting for something. Friend, if you know the pain and suffering of doing life in a broken sinful world, then you know that when I say waiting, that's not easy. It's not easy. That's really hard. And it's why scriptures like Romans 8 are so helpful. For we know. That's a faith word. For we know. That the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. You want a great description of the Christian life in the kingdom of God today? Groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly groaning and waiting for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. (laughs) Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Think of it this way. The battle for the kingdom of God has been won, but the war is not over. And to first century Christians reading Mark's gospel, this last parable must have been tremendously encouraging because they were persecuted and despised by the Romans, maligned by the Jews, outcasts, from the mainstream of society. The kingdom of God to a first century Christian must have felt really small and weak. And when Jesus said it's a mustard seed, they would have thought I would have gone smaller. And I wonder, friends, how many of us feel the same way. Because it's no fun to be marginalized for your faith. And there is a very real price to be paid at work, at school, in Congress, or at home for choosing to follow Jesus. Disillusionment and discouragement are kind of like occupational hazards for Christians. And the evening news doesn't help. The picture painted there is anything but victorious. And it can leave us feeling like the kingdom of God is on its last legs. And as a result, we develop an us versus the world mentality. And we start thinking, hunker down, Y2K, circle the wagons, protect the children, keep those people out. And a lot of that self-righteousness flows from a failure to understand that what it now seems so small and even increasingly insignificant to the world is one day because of Christ going to be seen as the ultimate reality. That requires faith. And that's why faith in the Son of God is necessary for life in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's been revealed in Christ, it's empowered by the gospel, and it's awaited in all its fullness. Remember the mustard seed, because we're living in the already and the not yet. So what are we to do, friends? What are we to do? We are to believe Jesus is who he says he is. We are to trust the power at work in the kingdom of God through the gospel. And we are to remember to not expect our best life now. Do that. You're going to make it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for being a king. We bless you for being a great king. And we magnify your name, great king. Because you have single-handedly secured and established your redemptive reign once and for all. Father, thank you for the privilege of proclaiming what you have done, for the privilege of being brought into your kingdom and made more like our king through the power of the gospel. And Father, I pray that as a people, whether we are following you or not, that one thing would begin to grow like that seed. And I pray that that one thing would be a new gift of faith. Trust. Reliance. That you are all that you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand, church to sing and join me in bringing our tithes and offerings to the Lord.